Lord, our God and Father, we praise you and thank you for the tremendous gifts that you've given us in Suzanne, Michaela, and Jackie. We pray that you would bless them, Lord God, and bless them in all of their endeavors in this church. That you would make every member of this church a blessing to them, and that you would make them a blessing to us. That they would be received as family, Lord God, and embraced at this time. And also, as we all grow and change through life, as we spiritually grow in Christ, that they would grow within the context of this church, that we would be able to serve them and encourage them and strengthen them until that day when they meet you face to face. And we thank you for all of these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Michaela, if you'd like to stay up. Uh, as you know, there's a distinction between becoming a mentor and baptism. Baptism is the outside sign of the inward faith. We put on just water because the Lord has given that as the sign and sacrament of the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, but our death to the world and our being reborn in Christ. So at this time, Michaela, if you wish to receive the sacrament of baptism, now, you've already spoken with the elders, and you've professed your faith, but you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. All we have to think of be a little tiny bowl, and you can just stand up straight. <laughs> That's a lot of water, but I was raised a Baptist. <laughs> you don't want to underwater, you don't want to overwater. <laughs> Lord our God, now we get to look into your word, and it is a marvelous and wonderful thing to us. We just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to be able to see you, Lord God. We know that of our natural selves, we actually have an aversion to you, your presence your power, and your word. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would just make us amenable to the things of Christ, that you would teach and tutor us in our heart and mind to love only Jesus. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 today. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'm just really going to read you to you with minimal commentary so that you can see pronouns and prepositional phrases. Believe it or not, in Scripture, 
pronouns and prepositional phrases matter. One of the things we see in Ephesians chapter 1 is how much, when the Apostle Paul writes this, he thinks salvation is a work of God. They had this great slogan during the time of the Reformation and that came on through that. And this is what it was. Regeneration precedes faith. Regeneration precedes faith. And it became famous because of the controversy that ensued. Because there was an entire group, even within Christianity, that said, no, we think faith precedes regeneration. And so these two interpretations became the two major interpretations of Christianity. I like to think that our side won, right? <laughs> but think about it. It's very different to say that your faith precedes your regeneration from to say that your regeneration precedes your faith. They are very different in their context and meaning. Now, when we talk about faith, we know that in the classic definition, faith is taken to be assent to a true thing and the belief and commitment upon that thing and basing your life upon the truthfulness of that thing. Faith is not entirely different than sitting in a chair. The other day, I was sitting in a chair and I didn't know that chair had been put aside by the kids because the leg was broken off. But it looked like all the other chairs and was standing up properly. Do you remember this, kids? <laughs> they don't necessarily want to remember. So I sat down on the chair and I ended up on my posterior. Right? And so the first question you go, you ask is, what happened to this chair? Because I had put my faith in an unstable object, right? But here's the thing about faith as it's talked about in Scripture. It kind of includes dependence. It means that you not only abstractly believe something is true, but you act upon the belief. So when we talk about that faith is the instrumental cause of salvation and that faith is a dependence upon Christ, that's what we mean by that. And so the classic question is, regeneration or being brought back to spiritual life from spiritual death, does that come because you have faith or does that come because God gave you faith? Does he bring you to life so that you can have faith? Or do you have to have faith on your own while still spiritually dead so that you can be brought back to spiritual life? So you start to see how these things are weighed very differently, right? In Ephesians chapter 1, it's Paul. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, the reason he opens it up like that different than many of the other books that he wrote, because he wrote 16 books in the New Testament, is this entire chapter is going to be about what happens according to the will of God and what happens according to the will of man, right? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful. Now, even though he's writing to the people in the city of Ephesus, this is a book to the entire church. And it was distributed through the entire church by hand at the time and collected into this collection of books that we call the Bible. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here he starts to get into it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before us, before him. Then it says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So you see how it really does get into those pronouns, doesn't it? I mean, the Apostle Paul is almost making it out like it was all God's doing. 
He's just saying, him, him, him. What about us, Paul? Well, he'll get to that. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Do you see how it's not a mistake to overemphasize the him factor there? He's obviously doing it on purpose, and he's saying it for an effect that he thinks it will have in us. He's saying him, 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 he. But he goes on. In him we have obtained inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, when you get into conversations like this about these kind of, this kind of subject matter in the Bible, a lot of the time, people will even say, well, aren't you kind of reading something into the Bible? I don't think predestination is in the Bible. And the word is just there. You can't avoid it. You've got to do something with it, for goodness sake. I mean, you might believe any number of things about what it means, but that it says it is unmistakable. And the Apostle Paul is being forthright. You know, the Apostle Paul can be dodgy at times. I don't know if you've read a lot of these books, but sometimes he's like shaping things and he wants to coax you to a conclusion and he might take five or six chapters to bring you to something. But every once in a while, he just starts smacking you in the face with doctrine, right? This is one of those times. He's just telling you. He's not explaining it, but he's telling you truth. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, in him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Remember, knowledge and knowing is a huge part of the Christian faith. The Christian faith has mystical aspects, but it is a noetic tradition. In other words, it's by reading and knowing and understanding that we advance in our faith. That's why we have Bible studies and stuff. Okay. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which you were called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now I told you we would get to the place where he starts to talk about us. He's talked about all the things God does. Now he's going to talk about our wonderful contribution. And you were dead. <laughs> and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. One of the things we gather from this is all of us start at the same place. Not one of us rides for free. None of us was born sinless. None of us failed to commit a sin based on the sinfulness that was in us. All of us were lost, all abandoned. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Many times when we talk to our friends that are not Christians and the different struggles that we have, we notice that generally sometimes it's a slavery of the body to the sins of the flesh or the mind to the sins of the intellect because they're both broken. There's an entire theology also that says the body might be sinful, but the mind can reason people to the faith by sheer reason alone. And scripture always mitigates against that. Your reason is just as messed up as the rest of you. As a matter of fact, if you logic someone long enough, they might even assent to the fact that maybe it is true that the Bible is true and that Christ rose from the dead. But still, they do not exercise faith. But God, even though we're in this condition, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, because by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. See how carefully he lays that out? He wants us to know that our coming to life, so that we might exercise faith, which is perhaps the primary trait of being spiritually alive, first we had to be raised, then we had to see you know, the Bible uses all these analogies. Jesus did not just go around healing people for no reason. He didn't even really just go around healing people because they were sick or even just because of their suffering. But he went to the blind person and he made them see as an analogy of the awakening of faith. He went to the lame person, he made them walk. He went to the deaf person, he made them hear. He went to the mute person, he made them able to speak. Because all of these things are analogies of the spiritual reality of what it is to awaken and come to Christ. So in case we thought it was as a result of works, he says this, for by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And in case we want to know whose worksmanship we are, for we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is heavy theology. This is not the easy stuff. This is the hard stuff. There's three really huge things about theology that we always grapple with. One of them is the distinction between the creator and the creation and how they relate to each other. We have this grand doctrine of creation ex nihilo, that God created all things from nothing for his own purpose. We have this other about the nature of God himself. He's one God in three persons. He's not three gods, and he's not one person. He's one God that exists in three persons, and Christ himself is fully God and fully man and yet one person. 
These are mysterious, not inapprehensible to the human mind, but mysterious to us, and we don't claim that we fully understand them. Another is the great mystery of the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility, the free will of man and the free will of God interplaying off each other through history so that God can say a thousand years before something happens, I'm going to raise someone up and they will be a man after my own heart. He guides history through the individual choices and decisions of men that we would call according to the freedom of their will, but within the context of the fact that many of them are spiritually dead. And yet at the same time, when it comes to this one issue of salvation, and the regeneration of the heart from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, you have as much to do with your second birth as you had to do with the first one. Which means you were basically just along for the ride, right? How many of you think you were a big participant in that event? You get a lot of the credit for that. The moms are going, nope, they get no credit. (laughs) Think about when Jesus talked with them in John chapter 3 and said, you must be born two times. You're born of water or you're born of the woman, but you must also be born from above. Think about all the times that he said to them, the reason that you don't receive me is because you have no room for my truth. You are not the children of my father. You are the children of your father, the devil. Now, the simple fact is God has no problem taking somebody who's a child of the devil and bringing them to spiritual life and sanctifying them by the blood of Christ and making them his own child. That's why even though we're all created in the image and likeness of God, when we come to be a Christian, he calls it what? Adoption. Because we've been lost to him, and now he has regained us fully. We've been brought back into his family by the blood of Christ to be renewed creatures. I know we all look forward to the resurrection from the dead on the last day. We're all looking forward to that. But you know you've already been raised from the dead spiritually now, right? You've already begun that. And he wants us, for whatever reasons, to walk a while through this veil of tears, spiritually alive among the dead, so that he might raise us up on the last day complete and ready for everything that he has for us. Let's take a look at 1 John chapter 5. Here's just another place where it talks about this, and this is, of course, from John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born, that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, past tense and present tense. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. What is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? And the wording there is very specific. It couples the existence of faith with being born again. They are the same thing. So that now, before, even though we could not see, we see. Though we could not hear, we hear. Though we were born, stillborn, we have been born again to eternal life. Amen? Amen. I know this is like heavy stuff. You guys are going to be mad at me later. So we're just going to stop now before I get in any more trouble. Let's pray. Lord, our God.
We do not merely believe in you in the sense of thinking that you probably exist, but we have been born again by you, and we know that we know that you are the Lord who has created all things. You created us in your own image and likeness, and you have given us life, and we praise you. It is wonderful to us. We pray, Lord God, that you would also give us the light of fellowship, that you would teach us to love one another, even as you have loved us in giving your life for 